this is um, this is my last time up front for a little while. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I'm having a bit of a career break at the moment, and uh, Ben and um, Owen have very kindly said that I can have a couple of months where I um, get down my responsibilities in church life. So uh, in November and December, I'm I'm not not going to be running stuff or speaking or leading worship. Um, I'll still be I'll still be coming now and then because you are my family, and you don't take yourself away from your family uh, just because you're going to drop some responsibilities for a bit. So I'll still be around, but uh, this is my last time up front for a bit, and then God willing, back in January. So uh, so thank you to Ben and Owen for allowing me to do that. I appreciate it. Okay, so this is one of those days, and you know you get preachers who say this. Um, my, my sermon has basically been preached for me this morning through the worship. Um, so I am still, unfortunately for you, I'm still going to preach it. Um, but uh, God has just been synchronizing stuff this morning. It's great when he does that, and he does that so often for us. And he's done that again this morning. It just felt that everything from the prayer time this morning that we had upstairs and then during our worship, he's just synchronized what he wants to say to us. In Romans 15, Paul says... Paul says this, he says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, hope, we might have hope, close, Sarah, <laughs> hope, and uh, so... So everything that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the story of Joseph, we're going back to that story. Do you know that that story of Joseph was written for you so that you might have hope? Okay, so let's see what hope God wants to put in us as we look at this next part of our Joseph story. And we're going to be reading from chapter 39, verse 19, and then through chapter 40. And we're looking at the part of the story where Joseph is put into prison and how he engages with that and what... God seems to be doing with him and through him and to him during that period of time. So chapter 39, verse 19, and I'm reading from the ESV version of the Bible. And the words will come up for you. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, so this is Potiphar here, who's just had his wife tell him that Joseph uh, tried to have his way with her. We know that wasn't true, but yet that's what... Uh, that's where we're at in the story. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. 
the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Then Joseph came to them in the morning, and he saw they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it's well with you, and, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Can sense a bit of desperation in his voice, can't you? When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were these three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer to the head and the head of the chief baker amongst his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph, Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Father, we thank you for your wonderful, inerrant, sovereign word. We thank you that it can speak to us thousands and thousands of years after it was written because we believe that you breathed it and you still breathe your word into our hearts and our lives. And so we pray that you'll do that, Holy Spirit. You'll come, continue to breathe on us as you've been breathing on us this morning already. Have your way in us. Make us more like the Lord Jesus and lead us. Help us to be good followers. We ask it in Jesus' name. This might be quite an obvious thing to say, and I know we hear this quite a lot, but, and I want to just draw out from this uh, story about Joseph in prison just a few points. And we do, the first one seems really, really obvious, and we, we hear it probably quite a lot. God was with Joseph where he was. God was with Joseph where he was. So it says in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. The Lord was with Joseph where he was. 
And, you know, sometimes in life we can be tempted to look back and identify times when it felt like the Lord was really with us and we were particularly fruitful at that time or there was a real close sense of his presence with us. And we can look back at those times and say, oh, God was really with me then. I sensed God with me then. Or we can be looking ahead and thinking, okay, I, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm thinking that if, if the promises that I think God might be saying over my life, if, if, the, if they're going to come true one day, I, I'm going to sense him with me. He's going to be with me. And what we can sometimes do is we can actually forget that he's with us now, where we are. He's with us right now, where we are now. And, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit, and it's, it's thought that scholars think that Genesis and the other first five books of the Bible were written possibly by Moses. But Joseph existed way before Moses' time. So at some stage or other, the story must have been passed down. The Holy Spirit would have inspired it and spoken to Moses if he was the one who wrote the book of Genesis. But at some time or other, it must have been passed down generation to generation. Nobody that we know of was in prison with Joseph. So it's Joseph probably himself who at some stage is identifying to those people who he tells his story to afterwards. God was with me in prison. Now, we can read it sometimes and just think, oh, there's some divine inspiration that God is with Joseph. Probably Joseph is the one at some stage recounting this story of his time in prison. And he's saying, God was with me in prison. God was with me in prison. Do you know what that made me think is sometimes it's really helpful for us to stop where we are in life, particularly if we're going through some difficulty and challenge, and to take a breath and say, God is with me. God is with me here. He was with me yesterday. He was with me in that previous chapter. I'm praying he'll be with me in the next. But actually, he's with me here. And sometimes it's good for us to stop and stop running on the treadmill of life, especially when we feel like we're somewhere where we're not comfortable and we don't want to be here. We'd rather be somewhere else. And we can sometimes think, I just, I just want to be there. He'll be with me there. And sometimes it's good to stop and say, boy, this seems difficult. I feel like I'm in prison. I don't know, what, I don't know what's happening. There's not been any productivity in my life here. I'm not doing anything for the kingdom. I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner of my circumstance. I don't know, I don't know what this stage of my life is all about. And it's good to stop and say, but God is with me, his steadfast love is with me. I think that's what Joseph did, and do you know that I think that that probably partly is a secret to why then his years in prison were productive years. Let's have a look. Do you know there's a, an old song that I learned when I was in Sunday school, and we won't be singing it these days. Uh, but it was called Count Your Blessings. Has any of you ever heard that song? That old, old song. And it went, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's an old song. We're not going to be singing it here on a Sunday, I don't think. But I tell you what, the words are great, actually. 
Now that's a way you can help yourself to recognise his presence with you even when it's difficult. We heard this morning about giving thanks, didn't we? This is the will of God for you. Give thanks in all things. Do you know why it's God's will for us? It's not just because he likes to hear us say thanks. It's his will for us because when we stop and we say, oh, thanks, count my blessings, thanks, oh, that, thanks. It's good for us. That's why it's his will for us. Because when we stop and say thank you, it reminds us, oh, he's with me here where I don't want to be, but he's with me. So God was with Joseph where he was, and Joseph, it seems to me, probably acknowledged it himself. God caused Joseph to be viewed with favor. So it says in verse 21, and God gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God brings about favor for us where we go. He brings about favor for us. He can bring about favour for us in the most unlikely places, and we should expect it. God brought favour about for Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house as a slave. God, it said exactly the same in that chapter we looked at last week that Owen, that Owen preached on last week, that God gave him favour with Potiphar. Joseph is moved out of Potiphar's house into prison, and what happens? God gives him favor with the prison with the prison guard with the prison keeper what happens next well we're doing that one next week but god gives gives him favor with pharaoh god gives favor god gives favor expect him to give you favor where you are expect it he gives favor god gives favor where we are stay with the favor Stay with where God's favour is. Don't try and move yourself on too quickly. Stay with where God's favour is. God's favour will be with you where you are, even though it's not quite where you want to be. Then there's a question about whether it's time to move on, whether you should be seeking to move on, whether it's time for you to move on. If there is favour where you are at the moment, stay with the favour. Stay with the favour. God's favour was with Joseph in prison. Stay with the favour. But also go where the favour is. Because the moment arrived for Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house when the favour ended and came to an end. It came to an end in quite a dramatic way. But the favour went. And God moved him on. You know, it's interesting, I think about myself, I think about my own recent history, and after being, as you know, in that same sort of job for many years, 26 years, and, and uh, felt the favour of, uh, felt favour there for a long time, until the last 18 months, and then just since, oh, I think the favour's gone. I tell you, I look back on it now, and I realise it. My advice was being sought a little bit less. My voice was being heard a bit less. Now, at the time, I found that difficult found that really hard. I'd been somewhere where I'd felt I'd been quite appreciated. And then the last 18 months of work, I suddenly didn't feel that anymore. You know what I think God was doing? He was just removing the favour. And now he's placing it somewhere else. 
that's possibly how you sometimes know if it's time to move on in life in some sort of way. The favour seems to be shifting. It may be in a work context. It may be in the place where you live. It, it, could, it could be in all sorts of areas of life. But you just begin to sense, Lord, I don't feel the favour here anymore. What should you do when that happens? Well, I think what you should do <laughs> is exactly the same as what we should do whenever we want God to guide us. You should pray. Keep doing the stuff. Read your Bible. See what he'll say. Meditate. Talk to trusted, godly friends. That's what That was the sort of process that I went through. Do that, and then you can be fairly sure, yeah, no, this does seem like it's the right time to move on. Go where the favour goes. It might be the favour for you might end in quite a dramatic way, like it did for Joseph. Or it may just be a growing sense for you. But go where the favour is, and stay where the favour is. If the favour is here, it's there, stay with it until you sense that God is moving the favour elsewhere and then find out where he's moving it to and go there. Stay with the favour. Joseph didn't have a lot of choice in that, but God was good and gave him favour in every place he went. And do you know what? You and I can expect exactly the same, that God will give you favour where you are. He will give you favour with God and with men. There's a great proverb that I, that I love. I, I, I memorized it some time ago, and I sometimes I, I repeat it to myself. It's, it goes like this. Proverbs 34. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor with God and man. Love and faithfulness. Interesting, you look at Joseph and you think, oh, there's a man with quite a lot of love and faithfulness. He found the favour of God. He went with the favour of God. And God sent his favour out in advance. But I've alluded to the fact that I think also there's a role that we have in terms of that favour. God gives us favour, but there's a role for us to play in terms of continuing in that favour. And this is what it was for Joseph. Joseph did the stuff where he was. So it says in verse 22 of chapter 39, just heard, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You see, I think Joseph made a choice. I think Joseph made a choice when he was in Potiphar's house as a slave, and he made a choice when he was in prison. This was the choice that Joseph made. He chose not to languish. I'm not sure I would have made that choice, if I'm really honest. I would have felt pretty sorry for myself. But Joseph chose not to languish in prison. He chose not to languish in Potiphar's house. He chose to do the stuff. He got on with it. From what we can understand, he was conscientious. He put effort into it. Yes, God had made 
given him favour, but there was a choice that Joseph made, and that choice was to operate the best he could within the favour that God had given him. Joseph could have languished in prison. There would have been no expectation upon him. Presumably, he could have just chosen to sit in his cell. Joseph did not choose to do that. He chose not to languish where he was, but he chose to give his best, best efforts, even though he was in prison and had had his freedom taken from him and had been unjustly treated and he could have given in to self-pity and bitterness and to be honest, there aren't many of us that would have blamed him if he had. Thrown into his pit, pit by his brothers, enslaved, wrongly accused, thrown into prison, isn't that enough? to make you feel a little bit justified in having some self-pity for yourself and a bit of bitterness. But Joseph chose not to do that. And it made a vast difference to what God was able to do with him and in him while he was in prison. Don't languish. Don't be tempted to languish. If you feel like you're somewhere, I just wish I was somewhere else, I wish I was a bit... Further on, I don't really like that. You know, I, just, I feel a bit confined here. And the temptation is, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll, just, you know, I'll just do what I have to do and get by. I'll, I'll survival tactics. How often do you hear people say that? Oh, survive. I'm just, just, just surviving at the moment. I'm just surviving. Survival tactics. When you have the favor of God, don't languish. Do your best. Do your best. Do you know why? Because he will bless you when you do that. He's not looking for it because it will earn you his love, because you have that already. It said when Joseph was put into prison, what did it say? The, almost the first verse after he was put into prison, it said, but God was with him and his steadfast love was with him. Before he had lifted a finger in prison, God's steadfast love was with Joseph. So you don't do it to earn his love. He's got that already, but... He says to you, do your best. Be diligent. Work hard. When you're experiencing his favor, go for it. And he will bless you. And you know what? I think if you do that, if you're wanting him to do stuff in you, he'll probably get it done quicker. If you do your best. So let me encourage you. You're feeling things are a bit tough at the moment. Not quite where you want to be. Do your best. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you'll win favour with God and man. Joseph did the stuff where he was. Joseph acknowledged God in his gifting. Now here we see a very different picture of the Joseph who was sharing his dreams with his brothers. You remember right back at the start of the story, that arrogant young man? He basically tells his brothers, you're all going to bow down to me. Oh, and dad, mum, you too, actually. That's what he's doing. He doesn't quite know how to handle his gift yet. He has a gift, but he doesn't know quite how to handle it yet. This time round, it's slightly different. Chapter 40, verse 8 says this. But they said to him, so the, the, the baker and the, and, the, and the cupbearer, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. What's the first thing Joseph says? Do not interpretations belong to God? Can you see? His approach to using his gift has slightly changed. 
it from him. Uh, I need to be careful with this book. I, I need to use it for some tact and some timing. You know, the gifts God gives us should be used with tact and with timing. I remember a guy who was quite gifted musically and um, in my previous church, and this was some years ago, I didn't really know him, and uh, he was a bass player, so it's, it's, and it's not Ben, and it was a bass player, and, and he was only around for a very short time, but he was quite a gifted player, but boy, his attitude was just difficult. If you got anywhere, if you like stepped anywhere near his bass, he would whack it out at you. He didn't last long in, in, in our music group. No, I'm sure it wasn't Ben, yeah. Fair, uh, although, no, it wasn't Ben. <laughs> he was gifted, but, but he, he didn't quite know where he found his gift. And uh, I think God needs to do some stuff in us. And Joseph, as a 17-year-old boy, he gets this amazing gift. Brilliant interpretation of dreams. And God says, yeah, I probably need to do a bit of stuff in you. But you know what? That's a lesson for us in a couple of ways. First of all, to remember that the gifts that we've got, we should always use with tact and timing. And the other lesson is for leaders, that when young women and young men have gifts, they may have them in the raw a bit, but we shouldn't crush them. We might need to help them and train them about how to use them. And God will do that process too. But when God gives you gifts, we shouldn't crush it. We shouldn't throw it in the pit. And that's what, the jo- that's what Joseph's brothers did with the gifts. Maybe if they'd been walking with the Lord a little closer, not allowed themselves to get so tied up in their own pride, maybe they'd have said, wow, hey, he's got something. Boys, we need some attitude work, but we'll do that. Okay, come on, come on, guys, let's sort him. He's got something. Could have been so different, hey? And sometimes you will encounter people who have those gifts bit difficult. Don't throw them in the pit. Don't discard them. Nurture them. Disciple them. Train them. Lovingly rebuke them. Speak the truth in love. But don't put them in the pit. Don't discard them. There's a gift in him. Joseph acknowledged God in his gifting. At last, something I can imagine God saying, oh, yes, at last. God started, he started to acknowledge his gifting. God was hemming Joseph in for a reason. There's a lovely verse in a psalm that most of us really love. We, most of us will love that psalm 139, which is the one that talks about us being knit together in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's a verse in there that says, you hem me in beside and before. And that sounds, that's a, that's a great verse to read when you're feeling a bit insecure, isn't it? Oh, he hemmed me in beside and before. And actually, do you know what that word hem in, if you look, look it up, its, interpre- it's, it's translation is, is, is a slightly harsher word than hem in. Beset or besiege. He besets me. He besieges me. I can't get out. So yes, Deeply securing when you're feeling you're all over the place. 
but also potentially a little bit restrictive. He besets me. He besieges me. He hems me in. There's a song that Cole Porter used to sing a long time ago, before my time, called Don't Fence Me In. Yeah, you remember it, don't you, John? Don't Fence Me In. Don't Fence Me In. Great song. We know that Joseph still needed some hemming in. He needed some besetting and besieging by God, and we know it because he says this in verse 14. When he's given the cupbearer the interpretation of the dream, he then says, only remember me when it is well for you, and please do me the kindness and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that should put me into the pit. Ah. And do you know what God says? R.C. Kendall writes about this really, really um, lyrically. God says, ah, you need a couple more years, mate. <laughs> and that's what he gets. Cupbearer forgets him. And at the beginning of the next chapter, it says, and I think the author of this book wrote this exactly what, you know, they, they, did, they did it for effect. The, the, almost the next verse in the, next, the start of the next chapter says, two whole years later, two whole years. Joseph's back in for another two years. Because God's still working on something in him, and that's character. He's working on his character. That's what that guy I described to you and what this 17-year-old Joseph needed. They had the gifts given by a sovereign God who chooses to give gifts liberally to those he loves. They had the gifts, but not yet the character. And character needed to be brought about over time. And we don't like that sometimes. Sometimes we don't like it when God takes his time over stuff. sometimes to do that, he has to hem us in. He has to beset us and besiege us. And it feels really, really uncomfortable. But do you know what? If we look at Joseph, it seems from what the commentators write that he was about sort of 30, possibly early 30s, but not much more than that, when he was up in Pharaoh's palace and on his way to becoming prime minister. Not much beyond 30. So he had been in Potiphar's house as a slave, and he'd been in prison for about 13 or 14 years. That just seems like an eternity. And to a young man, it really must have seemed like an eternity. But actually, we know that that's not that long, really. And suddenly, this man, this young man, at the age of 30, early 30s, is suddenly in Pharaoh's palace interpreting dreams and on his way to becoming the second most powerful man in the biggest civilization at that time in the world. How come? I think partly because he did not run when he was hemmed in. Now, you might say, well, he couldn't have run. He was in prison. But he could have run in here. I don't want this. What good is this? But he didn't. He chose to engage 
with what God was doing in him. He chose to do the stuff while he was somewhere he did not want to be. He chose not to focus on what might be ahead, but to focus on what he, God was doing in him now. So this week, or la- in fact last week, I was at, at, at class thing that I do on a Wednesday where I, I had, we had to do this exercise where, and, and lots of you probably have done this type of thing before, where uh, two of us went outside the room, one was blindfolded, and while we were outside the room, all of my classmates had um, put loads of obstacles, like upturned chairs and all sorts of other things, and tables and stuff like that in the room. And uh, I had to get uh, this girl who I was working with from the classroom door, the other end of the classroom where there was a chair. So we had to get to her, I had to get her to her, and she was blindfolded. And the first time I was able to lead her physically, so I took her hands and and led her. And the second time, you have to just do it with words, you're not allowed to touch anything, you just have to give them instruction. And uh, and while you're out the room, they they, they just, they change it again, so you can't, they think, oh, I can't go that way this time. And you know, I found that speaking to me in all sorts of ways. One of which was this. To get her safely to the end result, I had to do two things. I had to focus most of my attention on the next step that that she was going to take and the next manoeuvre she was going to make. But every now and then I had to do this. I had to look to see where we were going, just to see where we were headed. But if I spent my, my time looking on that and not looking here, She's going to fall over. She's going to be in a mess. She's never going to get there. So actually what I'm having to do is focus the vast majority of my attention doing this exercise on there. Okay, left a little bit. Yeah, stop. Okay, come towards me. Just two steps. Really good. Stop. Okay, slight turn to the right. Okay, come that way. Good. And it was like that. And it, it took ages. It was took a long time. It took a lot of concentrating. I just felt, felt like, you know, that's a bit of a picture about what life is like for us in faith. We, we look over there and we think, oh, I want to be there. I'd love to be there. I'd love our church to be there. And we think, yeah, great. Okay, now back to this. Now back to engaging my full attention with where I'm at and what I'm doing and the next step to take. And then I'll get there. But it might be a circuitous route but it's his route, and he decides where I'm going to. He's put the chair at the other side of the classroom. He decides where it's going to go and where I'm going to get to, and I might have this vague idea every now and then, but what I'm going to do is I'm not going to focus too much on that. I'm going to pray into that. I'm going to let it thrill my soul with expectation and anticipation, but I'm going to spend my energy not looking at where I'd like to be, where I think I should go, how I can get myself there. I'm going to spend my time here doing the stuff do you know I think that's what Joseph did and perhaps that's why his character building took 13 years, do you know for some of us it takes a lot longer than that (laughs) quite often it's because we run quite often it will take him longer to character build in us so that we're in that position where suddenly we can now use the gifts to their full extent 
because we are attentive to one and not to let him turn us in, then that's what he wants to do. But if you're experiencing his favour while you're being hemmed in, you don't have to be disappointed. There will be joy, there will be hope, there will be a sense of his ongoing love for you. Being hemmed in doesn't have to be boring and it doesn't have to be just waiting for the best bit to come. It can be fantastic if you cooperate with him and cooperate with his Holy Spirit. And you know what? He'll build your character quicker if you cooperate. It's interesting. I was thinking of another story about prison. I was thinking about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas in prison. And do you remember they're singing? And there's an earthquake. And it says all the chains of the prisoners came off and all the doors opened. And then the prison warder says he's going to fall on his sword. Now, if I, if I were Paul and Silas, and if God has just broken me out of my chains and he's opened the prison door, and the last thing between me and freedom is the prison officer, and he says he's going to fall on his sword, cool, let him do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Paul and Silas don't do that. They shout out to the guards, don't do it. We're all still here. We've not gone. And what happens as a result of that? It says that the whole family came to Christ and were baptised that night. Because Paul and Silas chose not to get out of prison before God's time. They stayed. They were free. They could have gone. But it wasn't quite yet God's time. They waited a little bit longer and they brought a whole family to Christ. What do you think they might have done? I was just thinking about that afterwards. Can you imagine a rough and ready prison guard who comes to Christ? What's he going to be like as a prison guard after that? How much mercy do you think he showed to his prisoners after that? Well, because Paul and Silas chose not to run too free. Don't try and get out of prison too soon. When you sense God's hemming you in, you think, oh, it's just rushing out. Don't. If you're handling disappointment with where you are now, and yet you, you sense it's the right thing to say, prison until he tells you. You see, God is interested in gifts, but he's also interested in character. Let me show you something. One of the gifts that I got when I left my work was from um, a group of dads. So I used to help to run a dad's group. And they, they bought me very nice bottle of whiskey and uh, you're not supposed to look up are you how much gifts cost but I did look it up yesterday actually it's really naughty isn't it and uh, and for a connoisseur this would not be a lot of money at all to spend but I thought it was a huge amount it's over 30 quid that bottle of whiskey and so I looked up the process of how whiskey is made this is what it says The maturing of Scotch whisky, i.e. the change from a raw, harsh spirit 
for the smooth, mellow, aromatic whiskey so acceptable to most is to a great extent a mystery. It is known that the spirit vaporizes and permeates through the wooden cask into the atmosphere and that moisture from the atmosphere is drawn in and mixed with the spirit in the cask. Many millions of gallons of spirit are lost due to vaporization during the maturing process. In the past, efforts have been made to artificially mature whiskey. These efforts have proved unsuccessful. Electrolysis, the use of catalysts and other methods have all been tried, but not with any real degree of success. It's hoped that no artificial process of quick maturing will be forthcoming and thus ensure that although more and more chemistry is being applied to the production of Scotch whisky, it will still remain an art and not a science. The Scottish climate is extremely important, particularly when the whisky is maturing. At this stage, the soft air permeates the casks and works on the whisky eliminating harsher constituents to produce a mellow whiskey. Now this one's 12, 12 years in the cask, and they, during the process, they change it from one cask to another. So they change it from a cask that's had something called bourbon in it. So first of all, they put the raw whiskey into these casks that have held something called bourbon. And then, at another stage through the, the process, they then change it into casks that have held sherry. And they think that that really affects the flavour, gives it a really smooth flavour. And I need to find some good things to share this with us on set. So, applications can be made. <laughs> you see, you can't rush it. Otherwise, you'll end up with something rather harsh and unpleasant and unpalatable that nobody will want to drink. It takes time. He's about a great work in this. It's a complex process, but you don't need to worry about the process. You just need to stay where you should be. Cooperate with him. Don't try and get yourself out of prison too soon. Stay with the favour. Or go with the favour. And then, who knows what the future may bring. Let's keep cooperating with the Holy Spirit as he works in us. And let's see what he'll do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.